the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host. And today we have Tina Gordon from Moon Made Farms on the podcast. I'm really excited. Musician, event promoter, documentary filmmaker, turned activist and grower. Welcome, Tina. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks, Sarah. I'm really excited to be on Planted. Thank you for inviting me onto this amazing platform and can't wait to riff with you. I know. I have so, I've, since we decided to do this, I've had so many thoughts of things that I want to talk about with you. So I'm really excited to dig in. Um, the first thing I always ask my guests is well, two things. Your first cannabis experience, if you feel okay talking about it, and also, how did you get into your work in cannabis? I love it. Yeah, cannabis has had like this place in my life, my entire, pretty much, you know, my entire adult life, my teenage life, and my adult life. And um, I grew up in San Francisco, you know, so like I went to elementary school on Haight Street. And um, it's actually why I was kind of a late arriver compared to a lot of my friends and like smoking pot to this day. I've actually never done acid, though I'm ready. Like I'm ready for my full psychedelic renaissance. And um, I've been into mushrooms for years, but um, I love mushrooms. To love some shrooms, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a great life enhancer. But the reason why I was kind of a late arriver is because going to school on ele- going to elementary school on Hate Street, I mean, it was like Hate and Masonic. This was in the 70s, and it was kind of a heavy scene, you know? Oh, yeah. Like the summer of love and everything that was ramping up to it had come and gone. That energy had come and gone. And what kind of replaced it was this super intense sort of like kind of uh, extended hangover vibe, you know? And so... Um, to, the, to this day, I have kind of a hard time with tie-dyes, and, um, <laughs> and I, I was really um, seeking clarity for my, in my youth, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's funny because the first time I ever smoked pot, uh, it was right above Haight Street um, at this little uh, bus park on Cole Street overlooking um, Coal Valley. And I was with my friend, Vanessa Jockwish, who always tried everything before me. I was 15 years old and, um, you know, we smoked some pot out of like an apple, I think. And I loved it. I was like, whoa, full transport. Where am I? And I loved the perspective shift. But what I found was, like after that, um, I never knew what to expect. Like my, my reaction to smoking pot was always different. Sometimes I loved it. Sometimes I felt terrible and anxious. Sometimes I, um, I just got like really tired. Sometimes I felt really energized. It was erratic and unpredictable. And, um, so I had that, this kind of what I would call, um, an unknowing or imbalanced relationship with it until I landed in Humboldt and started learning more about the plant from a cultivator's perspective and then started understanding what I was ingesting and why and what is best for me and like really learning from the inside out, getting that perspective. But um, it was so hit and miss for me for many years. 
And so um, I wasn't like a full stoner, but everybody <coughs> who I was close to was. Like all of my friends growing up through my teenage years into my 20s, um, while I was playing music, um, while I was producing and promoting events, um, I was always like surrounded by stoners, like brilliant, creative, um, incredible seekers, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny when, especially like trying it when you're younger, because you got what you got and people, you know, weren't able to really give you specifics. It's like I, I remember, you know, my early years in San Francisco, you know, having my guy and he'd, you know, bring like a roaster bag full of like a few different you know, flowers, and he'd be like, you know, this is Sour Diesel, this is Granddaddy Purple, this is Headband. I'd be like, which one should I pick? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hope for the pick one and hope for the best, girl. <laughs> but well, that's, that's, where, that's where instead of playing roulette, you know, this is where education comes into it. And this is where, like, learning through experience and just, like, having that time and space to have that intimate experience, right? Yeah. Because we're all different. And as like, you know, I, I tend to be sensitive to like pretty much any environment or anything I put into my body. And so it took a while, like for me to, um, to really understand what, what was going to work for me, you know? And it's another piece around like playing music and being around people who are also really sensitive. Like I, through the nineties in San Francisco, um, watched so many people just really destroying themselves and destroying themselves on like gnarly drugs and way too much alcohol. And, um, so many of those friends now and the ones that made it through and the ones that are healthy are green and serene. Like they're like, Oh yeah, I only, I only like ingest pot now. Like I don't, they're off of all of the other drugs. They stopped drinking alcohol and their quality of life has improved so much. And so that's part of, like, that's part of the mission. That's part of the reason is to, it's just like, I have a deep desire to help people and to help people improve the quality of their life and to just feel better. Ooh, you, you know? know what? We're, we're breaking up really a little bit. Oh, now okay. We're... All so, good? Yeah. So um, start at what helping people that you you wanted uh, yeah I've had a deep desire like lifelong desire to help people and I want to um like I want to contribute to people being healthy and improving their quality of life and just feeling better yeah yeah it's it's a it's a huge thing I think that you know, for a lot of us, that's that's what draws us into the work. I know for me, like, you know, I, I, I got into it thinking that it was going to be just kind of a segue before while I was going through grad school and promising my boss, I'll stay with you for four years, but then I'm going to move on. But then when you realize the impact that you have helping people and they're coming back and saying, you know, I was going through this really difficult transition, whether it's mental or physical and your your help helped me help myself was like that's that's a beautiful thing and it, it's really fulfilling too it's so beautiful and it's so it's just so purposeful 
And I think that it's what could really help um, humanity right now. You know, if we're all looking out for each other, I mean, it really gets down to the core definition of what regenerative is, right? right? Which is contributing more than you take. It's like, what do you have to give? What do you have to contribute? What are your unique um, gifts or talents or skill sets that you can share? And it's so interesting because having been in music for so long, music and art, you know, like everybody that I knew was imbalanced in some way. And perhaps every human being is, you know, we all have our tweaks, right? Right. And so for, for some people, that's like getting right to walk outside of your door in the morning. It's, it means like engaging with other human beings. For some people, it means being able to be alone and being able to feel safe being alone. For other people, it means surviving um, a life-threatening illness. It's like, it's, it, it means something different for everyone. And, um, but more than any other uh, plant that I know of, plant medicine that I know of, medicine that I know of, anything that we ingest as humans, like cannabis is so powerful. It's such an incredibly powerful giving plant, you know? Yeah, it is. And I, the one thing that I, I really, well, there are many things that I like about it, but the one thing that I really like when I'm working with people and, and trying to figure out, you know, how it works with their bodies is creating that opportunity to ground and really, be aware of what's going on in our bodies because we, and I'll always say this in my classes, it's like this crazy world that we live in where we're bombarded by stimuli and just, you know, the gravity of our own lives and making it through, especially like in the Bay Area, you know, it can be a struggle for a lot of people. But we forget, we lose track of like what's going on in our bodies and that everything we put in our bodies creates a reaction. And I use, you know, exercises working with cannabis for people to like have a quiet moment and be able to be in touch with what reactions they're getting and what's going on in their bodies. And really like I've had some reflections with people about the fact that it can be a little scary to actually find the space and the quiet to do that for some reason. But once they're in the midst of it, it creates this grounding and calmness that, you know, a lot of times we miss out on. Yeah, there's so much um, unlearning as opposed to learning going on, it feels like, you know, like there's such um, such imprinting and programming that we absorb throughout our lifetimes. And I think that cannabis is one of the ways, it's like one of the pathways back inside, Yeah, you know, and um, in, in terms of just like being grounded and getting grounded, like when I started really recognizing how powerful this plant is was the first time I grew it. And it was like, I fell in love with this plant and I had never fallen in love with a plant before. I mean, talk about being in a place where it's like, you know, a stimulating place. Like I moved from mission street in San Francisco where it's like constant stimulus, you oh, know, yeah. it's like that, that part of the city doesn't sleep. Right. Mm -mm. And, um, it was a very like, high, um, just high energy lifestyle for a very long time and, uh, very adrenaline rich. It was like 10 o'clock was the time to go out, you know, like two, 2 AM is when things were just like really fighting, you know, you're finding your groove at about 2 AM. It was like watching the sunrise often, 
you know? <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> now I enjoy a sunrise after I've slept. Like that. <laughs> Isn't it funny how that changes? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but that tuning in, I mean, how do you know that you're so out of, like I felt so out of rhythm. I didn't know until I knew, until I had a perspective shift that I was totally out of rhythm with the natural rhythms, the natural forces, right? And I didn't get that I was living in an environment with like extreme light pollution and sound pollution and like the water has chlorine in it. I never sensed that the water had chlorine in it after, until after I was like bathing and drinking really fresh water. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, well, I, I was really aware of that when I moved here because I'm, I'm from the boonies. Being from yeah. Upper Peninsula, Michigan, when I got here, I was like, I love this, but my body is out of whack because I have all this stimulus and pollution that I've never come in contact with before in such great amounts. Um, so my my body and mind are totally wigging out. And now I'm used to it, which I don't know that that's a great thing, but it is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it's like you kind of armor over time without even recognizing that you've got those built-in filters and armors until you are in another environment where you don't need them, where you can shed that, right? right. And it's it's fascinating, that whole piece around like, you know, making art and making music. And this was like, I was, um, you know, when I get into something, I tend to go full immersion, right? Mm-hmm. And so with music and art, it was full lifestyle, like total commitment every single day. It was a full lifestyle. And what I didn't recognize was that so much of this was in reaction to the stimulus. And it was like trying to, it was contributing to that stimulus through more stimulus. Like the, the energy around making felt so important to, um, to express and it was like, that's what I woke up thinking about. That's what I went to sleep thinking about. It was either like a riff in my head or like a drum beat or some lyrics or a drawing or a, an album cover concept, you know? And then in the, in the country and my first year out here, when all of a sudden there's quiet and more quiet <laughs> and space and a sense of calm and the drama comes from nature. It's not coming from human creation. You know, it's like this awareness then of of the natural forces and the natural cycles. And it was this incredible awakening where suddenly I wasn't possessed by these constant ideas of what I needed to create or express, but how to receive. Right. How did you, how did you how did it occur to you to make that shift? Well, I have this dear friend, um, Valerie Agnew, and she um, she was a drummer when I was a drummer. So she was in a band called Seven Year Bitch when I was in a band called Lost Goat. And our bands toured with each other. And um, they were from Seattle. They were on a kind of a different tra- trajectory and sort of pulled us along. You know, mm-hmm. we were from San Francisco, lesser known. They were from Seattle during kind of like the grunge boom. And, um, they were, they had a fantastic audience, um, incredible support in the world and they, they had reach, you know? 
So they brought us to like Alaska, which was incredible. Or they would bring us up to Seattle and we would play, um, we would play shows, you know, playing the support slot for seven year bitch. It was wonderful. So she ended up having this life transition where she went to, um, a healing arts school called Hartwood and Hartwood is just a, have you heard of Hartwood? I've heard of Hartwood, but tell our listeners about it. So Hartwood, um, which is currently the, um, the Hartwood mountain sanctuary is in the heart of the Emerald triangle. It's in south, southeast Humboldt County, and that's where Moon Maid Farms is. So we're really close to Hartwood. And this was an incredible healing arts school for, um, for decades. And it was a place where, um, say, massage therapists or people studying Chinese medicine could go and learn and become certified and go out into the world and start a practice. Um, and so it was really a, like a, tra- a trailblazer of an of a of a school <clears throat> like an earlier arriver in the healing arts um kind of the healing arts world in this country right mm-hmm. and so then like american culture caught up and you could eventually it was like kind of outdated because you could go to any major city and a lot of towns and get a a, cer- a certificate to practice massage or any of these different modalities right Mm-hmm. And so Hartwood went through a transition, but but Valerie caught caught Hartwood at a time when she could get an education there, and she got a fantastic education there, and she got to know the culture, and um, she lived out here for a year. And during that time, and it was in the late '90s, and I was horrified. I was like, "You're moving where? <laughs> and you're not playing drums anymore? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Are you okay?" <laughs> I thought she'd lost her mind. I was like, oh, no. And then she would tell me about, like, all the hippie stuff happening and how dark it was, like, how quiet it was. And I was like, oh, it sounds awful, you know. And um, I would I never visited her. I I couldn't get myself out of the city other than to go on tour. And even on tour, my bandmates would want to go on a hike. And I'd be like, no way. Let's go to the record store. Like, what hike? Why? What does that even mean? You know, I just couldn't slow down enough to understand. Anyway, so so I was going through some transitions in my life. This was in 2006. Valerie Agnew invites me up to visit some old friends of hers um, from her Hartwood days. And I meet an incredible woman named Joni Hannon, who was a jazz drummer. And the first older female drummer I'd ever met in my life. Like the mentor I'd been searching for my whole adult life. Wow. And um, I met her and I said, someone's got to make a documentary about this incredible woman. And I was working for current TV at the time doing production. And, um, and so I decided to make a documentary about Joni. And that's how I started spending time in Southern Humboldt. And so I wasn't drawn by cannabis I was drawn by this jazz drummer that's cool and that's when I I started getting to know where I was and then what happened was I ended up like going deep in this place I ended up in a relationship with a neighbor for a while I ended up transitioning up here finishing the documentary um starting to get involved in cultivation and that's when 
the the switch flipped for me. Yeah, I I I can I can see where that would be. There's something about I remember the first time that I went and into a live grow and how how it affected me the energy that was coming from it and at the risk of sounding hippy dippy um <laughs> but really being and, and when you say live grow do you mean outside yeah outside cool outside i i had been in like a grow room before and that was very interesting but i really felt bad for the plants i was like oh these bright lights holy shit yeah you know, I when I've every time I've walked into an indoor grow, like I'm first struck by the tech and I'm like, Congratulations on being like on this laboratory that mm-hmm. you've created. You know, it's impressive. And then I immediately go into empathizing for these plants who are on life support. Yeah. You know? It's like they're it's like going to a hospital and visiting someone in ICU. That's how I feel every time I walk into, I step into an indoor facility. That's, you know, I can totally see that. I can totally see where that would be. I, I understood like, you know, back in the day, especially when we were dealing with like a lot of prohibition and you could get in trouble for growing the practicality of an indoor grow. Like I remember the first indoor grow I saw was, it was a converted pump room for a pool and they still had the pool out there they still had the pump room but they had like an additional room off to the side and going in there and being like wow this is fascinating and it's really muggy in here and you know but it was really like I I think that's one of the things that I don't understand is we're starting to get into this era of legalization why we're not having more conversations about there's nothing like the sun. Like I, I, there was somebody who I was talking to a couple of years ago that was like, oh, you know, I've got these full spectrum LED lights. And I just started laughing. I was like, yeah, full spectrum, huh? That's really awesome. And then what about the night cycle? Yeah. Right. What about the subtleties, like the nightly shift in light every single night? It's slightly different. Like all of the subtleties and that's the piece like I totally understand why people had to go inside and were forced inside and incredible like I I think there's been incredible research and incredible progress as a result and huge respect to all the urban growers who like carried it on. And also don't have the privilege of living in the country. Right, right. What I'm wondering is why we can't have more conversations on a policy level about how we can create the opportunities, more opportunities for people to be able to have a thriving grow outside. Yes, it would be so amazing. And it would be so amazing to be able to participate in helping people transition from urban grow sites to like, you know, to rural or country um, cultivation sites. Mm-hmm. It's totally different. It you know? is. And um, I was just going to say, like, was it a couple years ago, I had uh, Phil Katuri on the podcast. And Phil is, the New York Times dubbed him the Wizard of Green because he's like one of the first, you know, organic grape growers that was doing like a lot of uh, biodynamic growing. He He grows like... I don't know if it's like 
at least half of the grapes in Sonoma are grown by him. But he also, wow. yeah, he also grows cannabis and a lot of grape growers also grow cannabis. And we were having that conversation about outdoor flowers and how like, or it, he was talking about grapes, but then he was also talking about flowers, about how, you know, what they go through in nature actually helps create the character of the plant itself. Absolutely. It's shaped, you know, and that's, so this is also the personal alignment piece and the experience that I've had. Like I didn't realize I was living in captivity and that was self-imposed captivity Yeah. until I moved to the country. And it's like everything started changing on a cellular level. And it makes me think about these plants. Like what are these plants experiencing when they're in their natural environment, when they're under the sun and they're in the fresh air and they're, they're, um, you know, drinking rain caught water and they're in the ground and they're among other plants. And then it's like, contrast that to the image of like a hydro scene yeah. where everything's on tubes and it's going into rock wool and artificial lights. And there's the day cycle and the night cycle and absolutely no subtleties. And then like the pumped up, charged up, you know, THC levels and just the frosted buds. And there is something, you know, there is something kind of incredible or fantastic about that look, right? Mm -hmm. But it's so unnatural. It's like the craziest boob job ever, you know? It is. And, you know, I know there are some people, I was just having a conversation with a friend the other day actually talking about like, Allergic, you know, if there are some people who are allergic to, you know, cannabis or certain terpenes. I know, like, for myself, when I used to fill the jars back when we used to weigh to order, like, if I would handle Dutch treat, I would welt up because of the terpene profile in that. But, and this is, this is, and listeners out there, I just want you to know that this is not a fact. This is me coming up with my own ideas. But <laughs> what's what is the terpene profile in Dutch treat? I don't I have to really look and see because I haven't had Dutch treat in ages. The last time I saw it was when I was in Oklahoma last month and I I didn't pick it up. I thought about it. Um but there's something with that combination that makes me welt up and another friend of mine was saying that she just can't handle raw plant because it actually causes issues with her histamines but when you know so there are natural we some of us have natural reactions to the plant some of us don't you know tolerate phytocannabinoids at all but then there's also this thing about you know chs cannabis cannabis hyperemesis syndrome and mm. i remember back in 2013 a friend of mine who's an er doc in boulder called me and that was the first I'd heard of it. And she was like, you know, I've got these young men who smoke a lot of cannabis and all of a sudden they're getting these cyclical vomiting syndromes that are only, you know, soothed by hot showers. And they seem to instinctively know to go into the shower. She's like, have you seen this? And I, I hadn't. And then we started having more conversations about it. And like Alice Moon came out with the fact that she has CHS and she's she's gotten a lot of hassle about it. But I wonder, like, you know, people are talking about the different ways that it could 
what it what it means like you know is it neem poisoning is it you know something else but i oh. wonder if it has to do with some of the practices with indoor growing because these plants aren't living their natural lives and that's yeah absolutely and that's a pure like it, it's not it's not a fact it's just a it's a it's a pondering that I have well you know this is part of where this whole experience has become so layered like the deeper I go the more complex it becomes and it you know it started off uh, with a sense of wonder and a sense of wonder about the natural world and growing a, a plant from seed through full expression mm-hmm. and seeing like how just how massive these plants become was incredible. You know, it just really like brought on the sense of wonder, like how can that happen in six months? They're like trees. The the base of the stalk would be like as thick as my neck. And I started this from seed and it just blew my mind. Right. And then it was like going into like, imagine for a second, all of the buds covering a plant and how many experiences people have from that one plant, like every bud, every experience that goes along with every bud. And that started blowing my mind. And then it was like, what's happening in this land? What's happening as a result of cultivating this plant and the heightened awareness to what is around this plant. And then that started becoming interesting and I started getting interested in the, the whole idea of towar, right? Mm-hmm. And um, a place and sorts and what does that mean? And how unique is every place? And so that's part of the piece as well. So regardless of the expression, when something's grown outside, wherever that is, right, it's going to be slight, it's going to take on slightly different characteristics. When you have something inside and there is consistency to this, But what does that consistency mean? What is it a reflection of? And so, you know, if you compare like being outside in the natural world and the 2021 season and everything that happens and flower from that is going to be a reflection of that entire season from that specific place. Right. 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 As opposed to something that was basically kind of laboratory grown, sort of artificially grown in an indoor environment. And it may be exactly the same, that 2021 flower, as the expression rendered in 2020 and 2019 and 2018. But it's not going to have any of the unique characteristics that come from a certain place during a certain time. Yeah. And that's what I think that's what makes the flower living. And that's the translation of life that this plant is capable of. And that's what's so kind of, um, that's where it starts getting really interesting to me and so important to me, especially around the regenerative conversation and how that kind of ties into place and terroir is it, it somehow, it enhances the meaning um, in, in such a way where it's like, um, you know, not only is it about what we put in our bodies and the way that like the natural foods or organic foods conversation is really relevant. But this is shifting our consciousness. Like this is an experience that is shifting consciousness. It's changing perspective. And it's, it's really, um, there's, I think, um, a responsibility mm-hmm. that goes along with this. 
And so whereas I feel, um, I feel really strongly about, well, how do people eat and how do people get nutrition in this day and age, right? Because yeah. it's actually challenged to just find nutritious food. What about nutritious flour? What about, what about cannabis that's going to like, feed your head in the best possible way and feed your body, your mind, your soul, all of it? It's like it's, it's that much more important, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I think, um, you know, really having the, the ideal setting to be able to, for these plants to grow and to really be able to get that full spectrum of the sun and, you know, with like growing practices, having diversification with the plants that are growing around them is, is so very, very important. Like, I, you know, I know the thing that's on everybody's lips these days is, you know, THC percentages aren't everything. And part of me is like, yeah, we've, a lot of us have been talking about that for a long time. Like, I remember having like J27 back in the day and it was, you know, the percentage was in the 20s, but it was a very functional flower that a lot of my patients at the time used for pain management and on the other hand I've had flowers that are like 13% THC that have had a really interesting terpene profile that feel much stronger than that 25% THC flower and like having the conversation educating people that there's just we've we've clung to certain ideas around cannabis for so long that no longer serve us and one of the things I love about our work is that we're constantly learning. We're constantly being proved wrong. Like when somebody says, you know, introduces me as a cannabis expert, I'm like, there are no experts. And anyone who tells you that they're an expert, you need to be really worried because that means that they've stopped <laughs> learning. <laughs> mm, right. Yeah. I mean, this this is the piece around cannabis being a teacher also. Yeah. Like we're just this is all really new and in its current iteration. And so, you know, cannabis and the way that humans have had a relationship to this plant for thousands and thousands of years in cultures all over the world. But what we're seeing right now in cannabis and cannabis extract, it's a totally different thing, you know? Yeah. And the, I mean, just in, in the profiles and the cannabinoid profile, profiles and in the terpene profiles and what's happened as a result of this plant going inside during prohibition and then coming back outside, we're seeing totally different expressions, right? Yeah. And so there's like beautiful conversations right now happening around like different with in different parts of the world. Like where did all these land race genetics come from? One of the things that I'm really interested in is what happens when these genetics go back home. Ooh, I never thought about that. Isn't that going to be cool? Because yeah. they've been kind of, um, you know, they they came to the Emerald Triangle and other places in California and other places in the country. But there's been such a concentration in the Emerald Triangle. And then this and then these genetics are, um, you know, are cross pollinated with other genetics. And there's the and then there's experimentation so much experimentation over the last like three decades and so then you get these hybrids 
and then you try to bring these hybrids back to wherever they're from or their, you know, their lineage is from, and how are they going to express there? I wonder when, when more of that is going to start happening, because I'll be really curious. I, I, I remember when I used to work behind the bar, I had somebody who used to come in who was, was from Durban, um, she was she was from uh, South Africa, and she every time we had Durban poison on the menu, she would always be like, "Can I can I just take a whiff of the jar?" And I'd open <laughs> it up for her, and she'd be like, "That smells like home." Oh, that's beautiful. And I was like, "Really?" <laughs> you know, it was beautiful, but I was like. I was like, I had, I had no idea. It was such an education for me to like think about like the different, the different sense of the different cultivars, like bringing people back to certain places and times. And I mean, we know, we all know that that scent is evocative of that, but I'd never really thought about it with cannabis. Now I yeah, do. Yeah, it's so it's so deep, isn't it? Like, I it, I love nothing more than smelling like bags and bags and bags or jars and jars and jars of cannabis. It's my favorite thing. And um, I definitely have been around folks who have the unfortunate allergy where like they cannot smell cannabis. They just start sneezing immediately, you know? Yeah. And um, I hope I, I never, I hope I never have that reaction. It, it's just, it's so pleasurable. And, um, and immediately I know like what resonates. And so that's one of the things that I love to do with people is I love to put like six jars in front of someone and just ask them what resonates for them. Like which one does your nose tell you that your body wants and go with that, you know? And it's fascinating because like about, about, um, you know, profiles and percentages and, um, it's like, I love mixed ratio. I love type twos. Mm-hmm. And um, my body often wants like a two to one CBD to THC or four to one CBD to THC. And I've found with groups of people, if I don't tell them something is mixed ratio and I don't tell them something is high THC or on the flip side, really high CBD, they will choose themselves. Yeah. You know, people, if they, if they go, their bodies their... know. Yeah. You're so right. You're so right. That's like back in the day when we had jars that, what you smelled was what I was going to measure out for you. We would always tell people, you know, go with your nose. You're, you're, it's just like with, you know, aromatherapy. Like, normally I hate the scent of clary sage. It smells like dirt to me. Mm-hmm. But when I'm PMSing, it smells beautiful. Because it's, <laughs> it's really good for that time of the month, you know, and, and I had no idea. And then, and that's all like that. It's the same thing with cannabis. And I just, I love that. And when you were talking about, you know, the type twos, when people, especially people who were smoking back in the day and they come in and they're like, cannabis is too strong for me these days. I want something that feels like what I remember. I always recommend a type two to them. I'm somewhere between a two to one and a three to one ratio. And they come back and they're like, that's exactly what I was trying to reproduce. Wow. I love that. I love that. And I love how with a lot of land race genetics, there's CBD, you know, because it wasn't, um, you know, 
the the characteristics that breeders are breeding for it's like higher and higher and higher THC but who does that serve right and right. I think it really speaks to kind of the there's a there's an immaturity in our relationship with cannabis right it's like just our our cultural relationship to cannabis right now is um, in a really fundamental place and I think that one of the expressions of that is like the um, like the childlike graphics that you see mm-hmm you know, you're going to see really bright colors, bright splashes of color oftentimes. And it cat- catches like sort of reaches people in this very innocent place. And the simplicity of that and also the simplicity of, well, what is the percentage? How do I choose? How do I become like we're not in, in a phase yet where consumers are educated enough to um, to really know what works for them, you know, and um it's it's like we're just cracking the door open and during this time what like it's it's a time of exploration right yeah where people are going to get to know themselves and this plant is going to encourage intimacy for people with themselves and then with others and then like venturing out like i really see this as being something over time we're going to come around in five years, then 10 years and look at the way cannabis has had this incredible effect globally on humanity. I think you're right. I think that I think the re- one of the main reasons that cannabis is, has really taken off is because people understand that and maybe not even consciously that there's a lot going on in our world and we need we need to bring nature back especially into our bodies to create balance, whether that's consuming cannabis or really looking at, you know, where your produce is coming from, or if you eat meat, you know, how the animals are being treated because we take on everything we put into our bodies. Totally. And it really is that, that unlearning piece, you know, it's like the, um, just the imprinting of like, what I ate at public schools, like, that's not the way to eat. <laughs> no, no. And when I think about some of the things that I used to get excited about in school lunch, it scares me. <laughs> it's like, once you, once you start eating organic, I remember the experience of eating organic apples for the first time or eating organic tomatoes for the first time and then eating homegrown tomatoes for the first time. And it was mind-blowing. Like, I wouldn't eat tomatoes. And then when I was introduced to organic tomatoes, I was like, oh, dang, that's a whole different, that's a whole different experience. The, the first time I bit into an organic apple and could, and it would just like, it burst with flavor and the texture was incredible. And it was so like juicy and I could, like, my body was just like responding to it, you know? Yeah. Having gr- grown up with like these, the perfect red delicious mealy apple you know oh yeah they make me sad (laughs) (laughs) and I think that that's about to happen with cannabis I mean as much as it's incredibly difficult right now for the legacy craft small farmers because because the direction things have been going in is a very expansive direction and that expansive direction is toward like these major all 
all season greenhouses or indoor grows and um, that can replicate consistency year over year. And that's become the industry standard. Yeah. And, but what, right. And, but what I think people are going to start asking themselves very soon, who grew this? Where is this from? I hope so. I really hope so. Because that's, I think one of the biggest disconnects, like, when I used to, you know, be behind the bar and people would be upset that their favorite flower wasn't in, I kind of lean in and I'd be like, you know, it's a plant, right? It's it's not it's not being manufactured by machinery in a factory. It has it has a growth cycle. So, yeah, it might be a month or two before you you get in the flower that you want. But there's such a disconnect between seeing like even, you know, even when it was in jars and we measured it out, there was a disconnect because it was a dried flower in a jar. Now it's packaged dried flower and edibles. And people are, are I think, now that we're getting more aficionados and more people that are almost, it's almost anophilistic the way people are being attracted to different types of flowers and stuff that they're starting to understand where it's coming from and 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 the beautiful thing is is that we can talk about the farmers now like back in the day you couldn't talk about who was you know who was growing it was just yeah it's here totally <laughs> you know we've heard yeah, it's, what were you and do you say? think it's going to be that same experience as like the first organic apple experience where when somebody is used to like their go-to indoor um, indoor ice cream cake, for instance, you know, or indoor, um, what, whatever variation on Girl Scout cookies it is. Um, and then they try something that was sun grown yeah, and they try something that was regeneratively grown, you know, and it's what experience are they going to have? And like, at this point in my life, I will never pick up a red delicious apple that is like a, you know, that, that is a generic apple. I would never do that. I will never put that in my body again, you know? And I think that the, that shift for people is really profound. And, um, and then to grow into and adapt from there and start really getting into, once again, the subtleties, it's getting away from the binary, I think, and going into, um, self-learning, self-trust, and intuitive knowledge like when people start tapping into trusting their intuition more than they they trust a marketing campaign we're going to see the world change yeah yeah i agree i agree it's really important that we have more conversations and action because conversation is great but without action it's just words but how to be able to support independent farmers that are creating these beautiful artisan products. I mean, it's like when we first were into legalization, I felt like we were stuck in the land of mids. And it was really, yeah. it was really sad because I was used to seeing, you know, these, like we, we, ha I, we had somebody who used to, you know, she used to grow this flower called um, Cali Widow. It was a Cali Orange White Widow Cross. And mm. she grew it for her asthma, and she always had extra. So, you know, back in the day, you could sell that to a dispensary, you know, pre-'64. 
And so we would have people who would be waiting once a month for when she did her job because she only brought in like a pound because it was just the overage from what she couldn't use for for that month. And people would come in for it because they would use it for their asthma or they said it was great for their migraines since it, you know, a lot of the white widow and white widow crosses can be vasobronchiodilators. And people would come in for the flower, but also she'd always bring in keef. And it was really like to see people actually understanding the function of it and to have these flowers that were just, you could tell they were grown with so much love. That just makes like a huge difference. Or even like when I, I, I taught a class at CIS for the Chinese um, medicine practitioners, because as you know, like it was part of the original pharmacopoeia, but especially with colonization and the opium wars, cannabis became, you know, very taboo in Chinese culture. Well, when I taught mm -hmm. the class, I took like I had a grower give me like a big bouquet of just fresh flour and I put it in a vase and I put it on my desk and they came up to it and they're like, it's just a plant. It's like, yeah, smell it. It's sweet. This is blackjack. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> say <love> hi. <laughs> yes. And so, and, and what the, and the, what the plant, what the flower is speaking to is somebody's senses. And their senses and, like, the intelligence that we already have through our senses, that's exactly the piece. That's our inherent intelligence. That's our intuition. We already know these things, you know? Yeah. And it's like when I learned how to cultivate cannabis, it wasn't because I took, um, I took classes or went to workshops or even read books. I started just digging in and listening to the plant and listening to the land like just tuning in and how much that taught me was just invaluable. It's like, you know, of course I was backing that up with doing a lot of study and a lot of research into books with people with amazing legacy cultivators um, and also dipping into permaculture and regenerative practices. The permaculture books were really helpful and learning about biodiversity and learning about stacking functions and how to relate to the land you know, mm -hmm. what are some but, of your favorite um, books that you that you discovered through that? Well, the two that really cracked it open for me were um, the One Straw Revolution, and that's an incredible book, and also this book called Gaia's Garden, mm -hmm. and they're both very basic, and like I, I would say, especially the One Straw Revolution is just a great read, and it's about somebody's like personal experience with how they discovered their relationship to farming. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, absolutely incredible. And then, um, and then Gaia's garden was more instructional. So that's where I learned about Google cultures and um, sheet mulching. And I learned how to build a compost pile and it just pulled me deeper into those basics that, encourage me to observe and to learn and this is ongoing you know this yeah. isn't it's not like um it's not like I in no way would call myself an expert I'm I do not um like teach classes for instance what I do like to encourage people to do is to tune in like every single person I work with and for years the people who would cycle through the farm and the people who would stay here for years 
they would learn from me, I would learn from them. And the, and so there are like these kind of basic um, rules, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them is living things come first. Another is tune in with all of your senses. Another is have eyes on every plant every day. Like, because these are the ways that I learned how to, how to grow. Well, and that creates an intimacy with your plants as well. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, you know, when I think about the farmers that I most look up to and, um, I've had the incredible opportunity to engage with, uh, these different regenerative groups, like the Dempure community is incredible. I've learned so much from this group of people and the sun and earth community. Amazing. And these are both like certification bodies in different ways. One of them is peer to peer. Another is third party certification, but the connection to the farmers through these, like these networks are amazing. And I have huge respect for all of these farmers from like the dry farmers in Holmes flat, Shively, basically like mid, mid Humboldt Mm -hmm. area and their practices, just enormous respect to um and the way that they cultivate with what they have and with by through biodiversity in their own way right so very little in the way of inputs for instance they never water because they're dry farming and then um and a couple of those will be like um high water farms or um new moon medicinals like they're um sunbolt you know sunshine johnston these are heroes of mine And then on the flip side, um, like Bryceland Forest Farms or Happy Day Farms, like the farms that are integrating produce farming along with cannabis farming. And and we're in a semi-arid environment, so this is not the best place to grow vegetables. But it's where the oaks grow. And so, for instance, we'll use a lot of oak inputs. We use oak leaf and we use oak wood and wood chips and the forest mycelium and we use oak in a lot of different ways just for you know in, in compost building and soil building um for mulch and and the ways that all of these different farms do it it's all individual and so getting a bunch of farmers together who are in different environments and sharing their stories and sharing their techniques and how they approach cultivating this plant in their own way, it's just been the most incredible experience. And so I definitely want to encourage everyone to check out both uh, the Dempure Regenerative Certification and the Sun and Earth Certification. They're both amazing. Um, And all of these farms are in ideal situations to, um, in California, to really drive, move forward the whole idea of like what is an Appalachian of origin program going to look like a terroir based Appalachian of origin program. How different will that be? Um, Dry farming versus um, coastal flatlands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you have to, you have to really take into consideration to be successful with what you're doing. And by that, I don't necessarily mean monetary, but just the grow itself, you have to be really cognizant of, of the environment that you're impacting and what you're bringing back to it. 
Absolutely. And that's why the fundamental, like the basis of regenerative farming is to contribute more than you're taking away. I love that. And just that, it's it's a beautiful concept, isn't it? Yeah. And so my new obsession is a regenerative supply chain. How do we build a regenerative supply chain? And so from seed to sale, and that means looking at retail. Mm -hmm. How is retail giving more than taking? How is distribution giving more than taking? How is processing giving more than taking? How do we transport this plant throughout this, you know, incredibly vast state? Yeah. And and eventually it's going to be interstate, right? How do mm-hmm. we transport this plant? Yeah, and how, do, how, how does that contribute? And, and when we're looking at social justice, how is it giving more than it's taking? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It, we have a we have a unique opportunity to not only change the way that we do work as an industry, but how the rest of the world, how the, how other other ways that we show up in the world, whether it be industry or otherwise, how it's done. I mean, just like I always tell people, you know, tech changed a lot of the way we looked at how we did business and how we worked. Like people aren't having to show up in in suits and be all stuffy anymore. You know, there's more of a relaxed approach, understanding how creativity is cultivated and productivity. And, you know, there are also some other things with it that may not be quite as positive. But we we as an industry can really make an impact on how people show up and and how, you know, we are able to create an atmosphere that promotes social justice and compassion and like you were talking about, you know, modes of, you know, approaching growing in a regenerative manner and just being regenerative in general in all that we do. And I really, I feel like a lot of people have heard that call and that's why they're here doing this work. But we have a lot of work to do to spread that message and to really encourage people who it may not have been their first thought to be more thoughtful about that. Absolutely. And I think that the time is now, it's like, it's, it's been a long road and we've got a longer road ahead of us. And right now I think it's particularly important to really tune into the cultural preservation piece and to honor the activists. And the people who are coming out of medical, the people who built medical, and also the heritage cultivators. Because this is the, it's like the, um, it's the, it's the knowledge and heritage and lineage trust that um, I think is going to inform this moving forward in such a way that's going to serve the, just like the whole pathway forward, like the trajectory forward. Yeah. And it really is the heart and soul. And, um, and so that's something that I feel so strongly about is that this, um, that this plant be like there's stewardship around this plant through a regenerative supply chain so that patients and consumers like understand what they're getting mm-hmm. and why that's important. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, this isn't this isn't like um, a soulless commodity, you know. No, it's not. And I mean, 
even though, you know, you, you say that, you know, you're not an expert, the work that you've done with your flowers speaks volumes on its own. The fact that you are a sought out grower and your products or your products, your flowers, I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to pull them out of nature, but your flowers, you know, are, are, you work with a a lot of companies that share a lot of the same values you do. And I'm always really happy when I see something and I see that it's been made with flowers from your farm because I know that it's going to be a beautiful experience. And I just, I, I, oh, yeah. you know, it, it, because it's, it's, there's just so much heart in it and that just makes me so happy. And it was a cut, well, a couple years ago, when was it? 2019 when I went to Emerald Cup and I just missed you at your booth and I was so bummed because I really wanted to talk Ah. to you but I talked to these two lovely women that were working with you um, at the booth and it was really nice because it was and they brought out some different things for me to check out and I was like oh this is yep this is exactly what I expected (laughs) I love it I love it Yes. I mean, yeah, and can't wait to do that again. Can't wait to get back into some events and a mix of people. And the collaborations are just so rich and so important. Like we can't, we can't do it all ourselves, you know? Right. And so finding our, finding our network of like our family, our family of brands feels so important right now. You know, working with like chemistry and cosmic view or aura brother David's or Dolo or, I mean, the list goes on. It's like there's um, Drew Martin is another new, um, oh, new I, collaboration. I love those guys. They're wonderful. They're wonderful. They're doing great work. There's so many people just doing incredible work. And I love doing these, um, these, uh, these products, that, these co-brand products. Doc Greens, we just did a collaboration with them, and it's just a phenomenal product. Have you, you know? did you do a and collaboration with Rose Los Angeles too? No, not yet. I, you know, I think that that's like, we're on each other's radar. Yeah. Cause I know like, um, our friends at Cosmic View introduced me to Nathan and, and the stuff that he's doing is just, I just, I, I just find his stuff to be magical as well. I just get so excited when I see people that are like, <laughs> like I may not know you, but you're part of my tribe. <laughs> totally. You know? It's, it's, it's cosmic. It's like there's resonance. You just know you just. Yeah. It's like when I was um, in, before I was in bands, when I really wanted to play music, and I went to UC Santa Cruz. And I would just see people who, for some reason, I was just attracted to them. And they all ended up becoming my bandmates, friends, or friends in other bands. And we all ended up knowing each other. Yeah. And I feel the same way about this. It's like the, these, the small farms and the, the brands, like we're all finding each other. Mm-hmm. And the certifications, you know. And... Um, and it's beautiful to have the um, to have the opportunity to have that experience all over again. And having a brand feels kind of like having a band. Yeah, I can see where That's that would fun. be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
I get to have swag again. I get to have t-shirts and bandanas and, you, and you know, definitely have groupies. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe go on tour. I can't wait to go on dispensary tour. That would be really fun. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's like it's it's a bit of a personal renaissance, I've got to say. But these all the co-branding partners are making this so much fun. And I'm in awe of what they do. Like they're just it's they're amazingly talented, you know, and actually my sister is a confectioner, um, Valerie confections in Los Angeles. And she's amazing and talented. And I'm so proud of her. And I've been trying to get her to do an edible with me for years. And it's, and she's, you know, she's on her path and she's doing her thing and she's incredibly committed and busy and raising a family and, um, one day I hope to do that. One day. Yeah, we you can always can always let her know, you know, about Nathan's collaborations with all these amazing chefs around the world and be like, You could that could be you with me. <laughs> totally. Let's do it. <laughs> maybe we should get on a call with her. Sarah. I think maybe. so. <laughs> we'll be like yeah, you gonna, I think that you can send her my Dominique Crenn episode with Dominique and Nathan. Be like, look, love it. Tom's doing it. it. You should too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that sounds amazing. There are so many badass women, and so much of there's so much of what we do. Also, like you know, and when you look at the genetics that are coming out now, and the flavor profiles, right, or the, the terpene profiles, and the experiences that people have, and to be able to extract like the essence of this plant. And to combine that in these in these edible products or the vape products or tinctures or topicals, whatever it is, that's really exciting. Yeah. And some of the stuff we're doing this year, I'm really I'm really excited about. You know, and and that's another layer of collaboration. It's like, where do the genetics come from? Where do the seeds come from? And are you familiar with BioVortex? Do you know Jesse Dodd? I know the name, but I'm not familiar with BioVortex. Well, I love collaborating with Jesse because his approach is BioVortex is a living, um, a living art piece. And so the way he approaches genetics and breeding is part of the living art piece that he's doing. And that's perfect. So that's why we work with Jesse on, and he comes to the farm and he does like this matchmaking, like this wizard matchmaking with us where he's like, this is what you should grow here. And he just knows it's, it's so cool. And so um, right now we're doing like four, four genetics, I think from Jesse and um, including cherry moon that we've done before Mandarin moon so Cherry Moon, that's our name for, it's a cherry lime dog cross. Oh, wow. And um, Mandarin is a Mandarin cherry lime dog cross. And um, both of those super excited, Sapphire Sioux, that's a two-to-one. Um, that's a two-to-one cross with Harley Sioux and Sapphire Scout. And um, everything that we've grown here from BioVortex is, it's amazing. And um, and that feels really good. Then we have some of our own in-house genetics that we cultivate as well, and that's exciting. Pineapple Wonder. Have you ever gotten Pineapple Wonder? I have, and actually I think I have a cartridge with Pineapple Wonder in it. 
from chemistry? Mm-hmm. Actually, I just cool. got it the other day in my sample kit from work, and I saw your name on it, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, I would, I'm would. i dreaming of one day being able to offer um, Moon Made Farms reserve flower beside these some of these collaborations. So not only could you get Pineapple Wonder in a vape cart, you could also get Pineapple Wonder flower. Yeah. You know, and just your own side-by-side comparison. I just think um, when I think about your flowers and they're just, they're, what you put out is beautiful on its own, but then there's like the greedy side of me that thinks about back in the day, like your head stash must be amazing. I love I love having a robust head stash. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm looking at it right now. And um, whenever we have safety meetings with our crew, uh-huh. um, you know, we open up the we we open up the bar, and everyone gets to you know roll their own and do and compare different genetics. Um, we get impressions. We get to do the empty jar contest, which is always fun. And it's really fascinating what resonates with different people at different times, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think, too, like when people get to experience that caliber of flower, that really drives home, like, why all the things that you're talking about are so incredibly important. Well, and and it's also and it's also a responsibility piece, like being the keeper of these seeds and the keeper of the genetics. Last year when we um, were evacuated. Mm-hmm. Of the things that I grabbed, I was like, we're grabbing, we're taking all of our seeds with us. Oh, yeah. I don't know how compliant that is, but we did it. Well, (laughs) it's like you have to. I mean, when you think about like even just like the greater seed bank, you know, range of things in the world, like, you know, we're – it's really important to be able to preserve and store all the seeds – like not just cannabis, but like all of the amazing. Wasn't there like a thing with one of the big seed banks that was? It was either like it was in one of the poles, and with like the the melting of the ice caps, like they were wondering about. You know, I think there was actually an accident where they lost some of those seeds because of it. Like we we have to preserve our our seed culture and to be able to have these available for other generations because you know the franken seeds that we deal with on a regular basis like your red deliciouses and uh your iceberg lettuce those are not sustainable life-giving produce oh yeah i mean one of my heroes in that way um vandana shiva is an incredible like seed steward you know she's an activist in india who um, started a seed bank, and I think seed banking is where it is at. Yeah. And this is one of the yet another reason why I love working with Jesse at BioVortex is because he's so passionate about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and also the art angle is just like that to me really speaks to the passion. Like to a living art project is like that's that's the most intimate translation of your personal expression there is. It's yeah. like what you're willing to put out in the world as art, you know? Yeah. And it almost, it seems like in many ways that kind of comes full circle for you too, right? Oh, yeah. It's, this is, you know, 
Um, when you just when you were sharing earlier that like 14 years ago you would have never guessed you were doing what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Like this is the last place I would have imagined myself, and the last thing I imagined myself doing. Like there's I didn't I had no interest in moving to the country and growing weed. It would not I would have not have put it on the top five on yeah. my list. Do you know? Yeah. It was not in any of the visioning exercises I did. Like I was supposed to be living a very different life. And I'm so I feel so fortunate because it really does feel like being chosen, you know? It's like I came here and I just knew. And it was life changing and it completely reorganized my priorities. And so now instead of feeling like I need to, um, you know, make music and art and contribute in that way, now I feel like I need to contribute to the land and I need to share the story of why this is so important with others. And the awareness of just the fact that we're living on a living planet, I didn't understand that. I didn't get, even people could have, told me that in a hundred different ways and I would not have gotten it. Like I was, if I, if the redwoods in Santa Cruz could not awaken me to the natural world, like I was a lost cause and it was cannabis that did it. And so one of the things that I think is so important is for somebody, for everybody to have that experience of like growing a cannabis plant. Yeah. Grow a pot plant. You know, whether it's in your house or your backyard or a windowsill or wherever, this plant is incredibly sensitive and responsive. It's an amazing experience. And that was the shift. Like, and to to have the privilege of stumbling upon this is amazing. And that's why I feel like I have to, as hard as it is right now, to um, to navigate this transition it's a response. It's an undeniable responsibility. Like I am supposed to pay forward. I'm supposed to pay back and I'm supposed to pay forward, you know, and I'm supposed to do this for Joni, who was here, Joni and Marianne, who were here before me. And so, by the way, Moon Made Farms that is on Joni's land. That's beautiful. So the woman who I, I made the documentary about, right? Mm-hmm. That's the house where I now live. Like I met Joni at her house, which is now my house. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. It's a trip. What, oh, so, because we're, we're, geez, we've talked for a while. I love this. I'm like, I could keep talking. Um, yeah, it's so much fun. I know, it I is. I really appreciate it. Oh, I do too. And, and for our listeners, what would you suggest to them to be able, what can they do to help support independent farmers? I think what every, anyone listening, if you walk into a dispensary, ask for flour, ask for sun-grown, first of all, sun-grown flour, and ask for farm reserves from the farmer, from the farm. Who grew this? How did they grow it? Where are they? And get to know your farmers, because that's how you're going to find the flour that really works for you. And tune into whichever farm that is, is, or group of farms that is, and I really encourage people to check out Regenerative because it is absolutely setting the standard for the healthiest, cleanest um, uh, flower grown with incredible love and nurturing. 
Like these are people that really care and who have been doing this for a long time. And so this is not, you know, this is not a plug and play. This is life devotion, dedication. It is, it's pure commitment and love. And I think that everyone deserves to have that. Yeah. Yeah. And how can they follow you on social media? We are at Moonmade Farms on Instagram and www.moonmadefarms.com on a, that's our website. Mm-hmm. And um, Instagram is a great way. And feel free to DM me if you've got questions. And yeah, please do give us a follow. Let oh. me know what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And for those who want to follow Planted, remember, we are two times a month now. We've been doing that for a few months. I know we've had a few years of one episode a month, but we are twice a month. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter as Planted with Sarah, Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook. Our website is www.plantedwithsarah.com. You can also listen to us on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network, where there's a lot of other amazing podcasts. I actually was just on Getting Well in America with my friend John, so check that out. Um, And you can listen to us on Pandora, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Google, and Audible. So check it out. Tina, thank you so much for hanging with me today. I just, I, I love love connecting with colleagues that have all the love and the passion with the work. I know I do. And I love to be able to, to just share ideas and learn from each other. And I welcome you back anytime. Sarah, thank you so much. I've loved being here and thank you for doing the good work. You oh, know, thank thanks. you for back at you. Given, given all these people a platform and, you know, a way to reach your audience. It's really, it's a pleasure. It's a privilege. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. It takes all of us to create, you know, a healthy movement and industry and to be able to support and honor the people who have made it possible for you and I to be here today. Um, For all of you out there, you know, really check into this, um, do some research on what regenerative farming means and why it's so important that we support our independent farmers. You know, outside right now, we are still in the minute. Well, if you're listening currently, we are still in the midst of a COVID wave. So be safe, take care of one another. And it's a crazy world out there. So be good to each other. Do something to brighten somebody's day. Until next time, take care, everyone. Thank you.